Hey, welcome to the Grabs Podcast. This is Grant Schwalbe. I'll be your host today. Today I've got with me Noah and Brady from all the way up Capital City Fire Rescue in Juneau, Alaska. Welcome, fellas. Uh, let's just jump right into it. Uh, Noah, can you tell us a little bit about your department and, and what's going on up that way? Yeah, so uh, we're up in Juneau, Alaska, Capital City Fire Rescue. I've been on for 16 years and a captain uh, for five years. Um, Juneau is the capital of Alaska, and it's in the southeast panhandle that kind of dangles down below Alaska, um, up next to British Columbia. Um, the city has 33,000 citizens. Uh, cruise cruise uh, ship passengers uh, come in, flood us in the summertime. We get like 10,000 a day, a total of one, almost one and a half million cruise ship passengers uh, that come in in the summer and keep us busy. Uh, Juno's got two distinct districts, a downtown district and a valley district, and the two main stations are, are in those two districts, and they're about 10 miles apart. The fire department's a combination uh, department with those two-man stations and then three outlying volunteer stations. The minimum staffing at the time of this incident, uh, we had a total of eight on duty, so there's a captain and an engineer on the two engines, and then firefighters on the two ambulances. Um, we don't have any roads in and out of Juneau. Uh, we're landlocked by water on the west and a 100-mile ice field on the east, um, so we have no mutual aid. When we have uh, big fires, we count on off-duty staff and volunteers to respond uh, to help out. So what do you get on an initial alarm, typically? If a residential fire comes in, what's the initial response look like? So they uh, will send the, the two engines and the two ambulances that we have. So long as the ambulances aren't busy transporting people, they, they show up. So that's eight people. Um, and then uh, we hope that volunteers and off-duty staff are able to show up. Uh, we do have an assistant chief on duty, uh, basically like a battalion chief. Um, he'll show up. We've got a couple ladder trucks, but they're not manned. So we hope that off-duty staff will show up and grab a ladder truck if, if one is needed. What's that reaction time like before you get additional off-duty people? Is it 10 minutes, 20 minutes? What's that kind of look like? It, it sort of depends on the, on the neighborhood. So some, like in the valley where a lot of people live, a lot of the um, off-duty staff live, they'll sometimes beat the engine there um, and uh, you know, start gathering information and giving a radio report and whatnot. Um, downtown, not very many people live down there. Uh, not many of the firefighters live there. So the reaction time is, you know, 10 to 15 minutes to get staff there. Gotcha. All right, Brady, tell us a little bit about yourself and your career so far at Capital City. Yeah, I've been a member of uh, Capital City Fire Rescue for about seven years. I've been a paid engineer for about five. I came from a neighboring uh, city um, or town. It's on a different island um, uh, where I was a paid engineer um, and a volunteer for a long time. Um, yeah, I've been on uh, Captain uh, Jenkins shift for about, I'd say probably about six years, five years, right around there, um, and then became the engineer for the shift, and we've been working together since then. Cool. All right, uh, guys, um, take us to this call, and let's run this down, and, and let us know how this goes. Yeah, so it was a few years ago. It was uh, September 17th, 2017. Uh, a little after four in the morning, uh, we were dispatched to a structure fire about a mile from the station, and this is the downtown station. Uh, so uh, 
with a immediately the we had reports that the collar was uh, stuck inside the house, was trapped inside the house. Um, and once we went in route, we were notified that there were actually multiple people trapped inside and that some had been seen jumping from windows. It was pretty close to the station, so it only took about three minutes to arrive on scene. And the fire was in a 100-year-old three-story house um, that had been divided into three separate apartments, one on each floor. We ended up arriving just above the building and uh, looking down on it, we could see significant fire on the Charlie side where there was a kind of a partially enclosed wooden staircase. That was the main access for the upper two units. And the, the wooden stairs, the, the plywood surround around the stairs and the vinyl siding were all engulfed in flames. And the fire had extended up into the rear rooms on the second and third floor. Um, there was a couple of windows open uh, where people jumped out and uh, they were chugging black smoke out of out of the windows. Um, so basically, I just, you know, did my radio reports, just four of us on scene, right? So the uh, Brady and I in the engine and my two firefighters in the, in the ambulance right behind us um, on the radio just said, you know, painted the picture as best I could and that we're going into fast attack mode. Um, so dispatch toned out for a general recall to get volunteers and opportunity staff to respond. Um, but as it turns out that night, there'd been a bachelorette party for one of our staff members. So uh, quite a few of the off-duty staff were out of service and unable to show up to assist. So all told on this incident, we had seven off-duty staff and three volunteers show up to help. So pretty, pretty small numbers. Um, but uh, because of the significant fire that was seen on the Charlie side, I called for a two and a half uh, inch line to get deployed. Um, so my uh, the firefighters on the ambulance were doing that, pulling that. They were both on probation at the time. Uh, and I went to try to do my 360. Uh, and uh, so I was walking around trying to trying to get down to the house. It was just complete chaos down there. Um, there was a ton, quite a few people outside of the building yelling that people were trapped. Um, you could, one of the people that had jumped out of the window was bleeding badly from their arms, sitting on the curb, screaming for help. And, uh, and then up on the roof on the Alpha Bravo corner, there was a woman, uh, right up standing in the gutter screaming for help. Um, so, you know, 20, 30 feet up in the air screaming for help. And like I said, just black smoke chugging out of the windows, um, and, and the fire on that Charlie side. And so also on the Charlie side, uh, the setback was just about like 10 feet from the state office building that used to be a high school. So a non-combustible building, but I felt like the risk of exposure uh, was pretty high that with flames uh, that close that it could uh, pretty easily, the windows could start failing and the fire could get into this big state office building. Um, so with just the four of us on scene and the other crew about 10 minutes away, I decided, uh, you know, I had to kind of decide which problem to address first. And I made the decision that the woman up on the roof was currently okay. She was, uh, she'd been up there for a few minutes and could probably stand to stay there another couple minutes. And that the immediate concern should be to extinguish the fire and search for any of the victims that might still be trapped inside the building. So we, uh, uh, Brady got us water and we knocked the fire down pretty darn quickly. That two and a half made pretty quick work of that. Um, outside fire. Um, when we advanced the two and a half up these stairs to get up on the deck, and uh, it was weird 
there's a small metal spiral staircase that went from the ground level up to that second floor deck that we had to negotiate and get the hose up on. Um, and this will uh, factor in in the rescue because spiral staircases are not easy to maneuver down. Um, but uh, yeah, so once the fire was knocked on the um, on the upper floor, so we the, had to get into the second floor, extinguish the back room that was uh, on fire and on that second floor, and then make it up to the third floor and extinguish that fire that had made it into that top apartment. Um, so we got all the fire, most of the fire knocked down um, and, and uh, zero visibility in that apartment. And I left my two probies on the hose while I initiated a search. Um, so basically I just said, you guys stay here, keep the fire at bay and I'm gonna go in and see and start the search. So I went in, the first room was a kitchen. I quickly searched the kitchen, found a bathroom, searched the bathroom real quick, went into a bedroom, um, searched that. And then as I was making my way across the um, hall to go find the next bedroom, I uh, crawled up on top of the victim. And it took me a minute to sort of realize what I was crawling on, but it ended up being the victim. And he was a, a pretty large fellow. He was upwards of 300 pounds and um, just wearing shorts uh, and unconscious. Uh, I, uh, I keep a press cord up my sleeve between the shell of my liner and my bunker coat. So I was able to pull that out um, and put it around, loop it around the uh, ankle of the victim and called my probies to come help me start pulling them out. Um, so I started pulling before they showed up, but then they got there and I was very happy to let them basically take over. They're both gym rats, so big, strong guys. And they, uh, they started hauling him out back the way we came. And uh, the fire had reignited in the staircase because we had not fully extinguished it. So we had to flow a little bit more water to finish putting the fire out, uh, knock it down a little bit more. Um, and then we drug the victim down the stairs. Not exactly a pretty sight, but we were able to get him down. Um, and so then we got him down on that second floor deck, but we were stuck there because of that silly spiral staircase. And there just wasn't going to be a way to get this big guy unconscious just wearing shorts down this metal small little spiral staircase so i ran back to the ambulance to get our carry-all one of those tarps with handles on it and uh while well, my probies started cpr on the victim um on that back deck and uh they ended up running out of air while they were where while they were doing cpr and it was pretty smoky still back there but they decided to just pull their masks off and and uh, continue with cpr and I got them the carry-all tarp, uh, so they were able to roll the victim onto, onto the tarp, and then from there get him down, down the staircase. So it was about that time that the other engine showed up, um, and so I met up with that officer, and uh, he and I went back up the stairs to continue searching um, where I'd left off where we'd found this guy. Um, meanwhile, his two of his firefighters found the staircase on the alpha side of the building. Brady kind of pointed, pointed out where he thought the stairs were. And, uh, and so they went in the alpha side stairwell and we met up back up on top on that third floor and found that third victim about the same time. And he, we ended up bringing him down that alpha side stairs that wasn't involved with any fire, a real small staircase, but, but it was a much safer place to, to get down. Um, and you get so, that guy uh, out? CPR, say that again. How'd you get that victim out? Or what was your method for that? Uh, we 
So we just grabbed, uh, grabbed onto the, it was just a dirty drag, just arms and legs and pulled them down the stairs, get them out of the smoky environment. Gotcha. So uh, both patients were unconscious and pulseless. Uh, we did, they did CPR on both of them, um, which took a lot of the available manpower away, um, as you can imagine. They ended up getting pulses back in with both of them and ended up transporting them, uh, but they both succumbed to their injuries and smoke inhalation and later died in the ER. But uh, meanwhile, while this was all going on, uh, Brady was uh, throwing ladders and affecting a rescue on the, on the woman to the roof, on the woman who was up on the roof. So this might be a good time to let Brady share his story. Yeah, Brady, why don't you tell us about that, uh, the ladder rescue there? Yeah, so um, after, uh, like I said, you know, this kind of is going, is conciting with them actually making the first grab and dragging that first victim down the back stairwell and then, uh, and tran, you know, down the, the spiral staircase. Um, we get the line pulled, they get the line pulled down there, call for water, um, start the, start, you know, give them water, give them the right pressure. Um, then I notice, and, and, you know, it's like I said, you know, Cap said it's a kind of a chaotic scene. People are screaming. As I came to the back of the engine to make the connection and give them water, I saw the victim or the woman on the roof on the AV corner. Um, we get a lot of snow, a lot of rain. There's a lot of metal roofs in, uh, in uh, Juneau. Um, this is an older home, had a fairly good size, steep pitch. I think it's probably like a 912 right around there, pitch on the roof, uh, metal roof. Um, uh, it was a little bit cold with some dew on it, so the roof was extremely slick. So I see this woman. Um, this is something my captain and I have talked about quite a bit. Um, we roll through scenarios. You know, um, what we should do, we talk about split crews and splitting our crew up. And, uh, you know, the, me working with another firefighter and doing a rescue while they go in and put fire out this time, all resources had committed to the backside. I was by myself, um, radioed that, uh, they were going to be on tank water, which is about, uh, we have about 700 gallons. Um, and that I was going to affect a rescue on the A side of the building, um, using portable ladders. Um, so I pulled the 24 off. Uh, ran down the stairs. We park above uh, the topography of Juno. Is that other than just down by the water, everything is built on a hillside. Um, so ran had to run down the stairs. It's probably about a 75 foot staircase um, downhill with a 24. Set it up uh, to a porch roof that was kind of kind of leveled off right below the second floor windows. Um, and then set that up and then run back up for the the 14 foot roof ladder that we also carry um, by the time i got back down to the building to carry the 14 foot up roof ladder up um, i had two police officers and a civilian that had already climbed my ladder and were on top of the porch roof um, and again still somewhat of a really chaotic scene uh, they were able to assist me getting the 14 foot roof ladder up onto the porch roof um, you know, I had people climbing my ladders all over the place. People were yelling and screaming. Um, we ended up taking this 14 foot roof ladder and, uh, using if you're in an area that has snow or people that have metal roofs and uh, snowy regions will know that usually they put snow stops on metal roofs where there were little, little, little like metal ledges. So the snow can't slide off and injure somebody kind of keeps the snow on the roof. 
I used one of those and the assistance of the, actually the civilian there to help me stabilize this ladder. I used that for footing and the, this 14 foot roof ladder was just able to make it to the roof where the lady was at. Um, made the decision that, that this snow stop was not going to support the, the weight of a person climbing the ladder to rescue her. So she had to make the transition by herself. I healed the ladder and pulled it against the building um, while the civilian just kind of told me what was going on so I could talk them through how to, you know, and, and then she finally got transferred over. There was a lot of you know, she didn't want to do it. There was a lot of, I can't do this. I can't do this. And we finally got her to, to make the transition and come down. Um, again, this time frame is very fast, very short. I mean, it was within minutes of all this happening of me being able to get the ladders up there that we were able to get her down. Um, as soon as we were able to get her down onto the porch roof, the crews from uh, medic three or the, the, the crews from out the road at the other station had showed up. I went inside the second floor window with another one of the one of them, um, and we searched the second floor, and that's where we located the interior stairwell. This is a like I said, a hundred year old home, very narrow, very steep stairs that led to the the third floor apartment. Um, I came back out. One of the the second firefighter had then showed up. Those two crew. I told them we made radio comms. I went back to my engine. They went up the third floor. Uh, that's interior stairwell where they met up with Captain Jenkins and uh, the other captain, Captain Johnston from Station 3. Um, and they effected the rescue, pulling them down, and then brought them down the second set of stairs inside and took them out the first floor. Um, they had to force the door to get them out. Um, and then that's where, uh, you know, we had two people out front and they were doing CPR. And actually, the fire had actually built back up since all resources had went to doing EMS. Um, and then I'll let Captain Jenkins kind of take on after what happened at that point, which we were doing CPR. So can you, uh, like uh, Brady said, you know, it was all happening pretty darn quickly. Um, looking at the timeline from arriving on scene, we uh, had, you know, the, uh, fire out within two or three minutes. The first victim was found, I believe, at the seven-minute mark. And uh, then Brady had gotten his victim down uh, right on the 10-minute mark. And that second victim uh, was 13 minutes into arrival on scene. Um, so pretty quick for, you know, four people, I felt like, to get that all happening. But it's also just not quick enough. Well, like we know from the firefighter rescue survey and Nick Ledeen's recent article in fire engineering that only 11% of successful grabs occur after the fire is knocked down. And unfortunately that's kind of what we're stuck with here is, is uh, starting our search after the fire is knocked down instead of a coordinated fire scene where search and rescue and ventilation and fire attack are all happening at the same time. We do it in more of a linear fashion here where we attack the fire, get some sort of ventilation so we can see a little bit better and then start our search. And uh, statistically, that's not doing a lot of favors for any potential victims in there. Well, we, we talk about statistics then too. Do you look at the NIST and UL studies? And if you don't take care of the fire problem, uh, you got 90 seconds on a one story until we get rapid fire progression, 180 seconds on a two story. Uh, I, I tell a story in class that, you know, if my daughter forgets her blanket and I'm taking her to school, I know my house, it's not on fire, I'm not in gear, and it, I'm hard pressed to find her blanket and get back out to the car in 90 seconds. 
Um, and so we're fools to think that even if we know there's a victim inside, uh, that we can make that grab that fast and not have anything bad happen to us. We can look at the case study from Keokuk, Iowa, um, in 1999 to, to reinforce that. So you guys did an awesome job, uh, based on your resources. Um, I'm blown away. You know, sometimes when we do search scenarios or something, we, um, it seems like it's a 10 or 15 minute evolution. And if you think about all that you accomplished in that 13 minutes, fire attack and three victims removed from a three story uh, with limited manpower, that's pretty crazy. Um, but once you got that fire knocked out, it was very quick for the rest of it to happen. Yeah, yeah, it, it, all, it all went as smoothly, I think, as we could hope um, with, with, that, with the limited manpower that we've got. Um, and it the but the limited the the incident continued for quite a few hours after this because we had not fully extinguished the fire we'd kind of rushed through that it ended up getting in the void spaces and kind of continued to to burn for a while um our manpower was uh a lot of the guys were ended up being involved with this two cpr uh uh the the two CPR events that were going on, trying to trying to get the the survivors transported. Um, so they both, you know, they did about 20 minutes of CPR on scene and intubated and got pulses back. But that was a big resource suck for us. Um, and uh, and and then they left. They had to transport them. So that took six people away as the two two different uh, patients were transported. My two probies who had smoke inhalation were vomiting during it all from the smoke inhalation. And so they were ordered to go to the hospital. But before they could go to the hospital, they were uh, directed to come back to the scene to transport the lady that Brady had rescued off the roof, who had also was suffering from smoke inhalation. So they got her to the state, to the hospital. And then uh, one of the other firefighters that was uh, on duty that day was suffering from heat exhaustion and he needed to get transported to the hospital. So they had to come back and get, get this individual, this firefighter, and uh, transport him to the hospital. While they were doing that, they had another call uh, unrelated to the fire for somebody in respiratory distress. And so he had to get off the gurney, the guy with heat exhaustion, the firefighter with heat exhaustion, get off the gurney, remake the gurney real quick, go pick up this other patient, transport them to the hospital. And then these three guys were able to get themselves checked into the hospital. Um, fortunately, they all recovered just fine, but, uh, but less than ideal. So, yeah. So anybody who thinks that they don't have enough manpower to complete this stuff, just talk to these guys and see what can be done uh, when you, when push comes to shove. Uh, what has, has anything changed within your organization after this search wise, so we manpower were able, wise, anything like that? So manpower wise, we were able to get, um, get another ambulance staffed up. It was, uh, there's, multiple multiple pushes to get a third ambulance going in town um for the you know we're just busier and busier and uh, needed it for stacked ems calls but uh, we were also able to use this incident um and and show the city that look we really need to have more more people on scene and i think it it spoke volumes to the to the assembly members that when we were able to sort of relay this story to them that it is important that we have more firefighters on duty so that has helped to have a, a second ambulance on And currently they're at the downtown station where we are. And so then I'm able to assign one ambulance as the search crew and the other ambulance as the fire attack crew. 
and uh, so long as we're all there and uh, not busy on EMS calls, it's worked out pretty well. But it seems like for the recent fires we've had, one of the ambulances has been tied up at the hospital doing doing medical stuff. So we end up just showing up with with the back to the staffing of just four on on scene. The fact that they're riding in the ambulance uh, delays their turnout time because uh, they have air packs in the ambulance, but they uh, you know have to park a little ways away from the scene so they're not uh, blocking traffic and and then run up and start deploying lines and getting their tools. So uh, uh, did you guys do anything more on uh, victim removal? I know you encountered a couple problems on there, but is that anything that you went over when you look and see what's being kind of pushed around uh, the country to keeping it simple, stupid and do what you can do type thing or? That's, that's basically it. You know, on our shift, we, we talk about, you know, plan A, plan B and plan C and, uh, you know, just try to all be on the same page and uh, exactly keep it simple and, and, have a hasty drag idea that, uh, especially for large patients, large people, that we can quickly get them out. But I'll tell you, it's uh, uh, you talk a lot about search culture, um, and and uh, because we have such a limited manpower, we don't we don't train a lot on searching. Uh, we we don't train as much as we should on it, and obviously a vital aspect of a, any fire ground. Um, and I, we're just trying to do what we can, uh, being jack of all trades, to to uh, to be the best that we can be. Um, but yeah, it's basically plan A, plan B, and plan C, and and go from there. Yeah, and unfortunately, you guys are probably more the norm across the country with limited manpower, uh, with so much of the country still being um, completely volunteer. Um, if, so you wrote this up as an article, can you tell people how to find out more about the article or how to get a hold of you if they want to find out any more information about this? Yeah, you bet. I, uh, I don't have the, the date in front of me that, uh, that fire engineering published an article about this incident. Um, and, uh, it's called the short staffing compromise. Um, and, uh, I think Brady's grabbing the, the, the magazine right now to get the date but uh yeah i can be reached on facebook is the easiest way noah jenkins um in juno alaska and uh brady's on facebook too is brady fink and in, in juno be happy to to chat cool um all right if you've got a grab or an assist, alive or dead, if you can get that information put into firefighterrescuesurvey.com, uh, that information, a uh, bunch of good brothers putting all that together and then putting it out in a usable format for firefighters so that we can train on what's really happening uh, because the information going in and out of NIFRS just kind of stinks. Um, if you want to share your story, we're always looking for stories. Our goal is to share one of these a month or every couple of weeks. But if you want to get get a hold of us, share your story. I do the short little podcast. It's, these guys can attest. It's pretty easy to do. Uh, get a hold of either me on Facebook, Grant Schwalbe, or Residential Primary Search, Making the Grab, the Facebook page. Or get a hold of Justin Williams with Brothers in Battle. He also runs the Search Culture uh, Facebook page. And we'd appreciate that. Uh, just reach out to us so we can set something up. Uh, but until next time, stay aggressive.
Okay. Yeah.